<laughs> Good <All right>. one. <laughs> oh my god, we finally made it. We finally made it to record this podcast after watching Godzilla v Kong about collectively how many times have the five of us watched this movie? Well, I got Two. three under my belt now. I got three. I got three. So it's nine. Two. Eleven. Eleven. What, Once Jen? Get off this podcast. Only once. <laughs> Kicked out. I didn't even want to be here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> The principal barriers to assimilation seems to be the natural tendency of white people to violence. They love violence. They love it as entertainment. The very foundation of their way of life. Death and sacrifice. White people, with almost missionary zeal, have done their best to export death and sacrifice to every corner of the world. All right, so is that 12? That's 12 times. Did I count that correctly? We watched the movie 12 times to bring this this Red Power Hour episode to you. So welcome back. <laughs> I'm Melanie Yazzie. I'm co-host with Elena. Want to say hi, Elena? Hello. Cool. So welcome back to Red Power Hour. Um, today we are joined again by Zincato, who is coming to us from um, Bands of Turtle Island podcast. I'm calling in from Anishinaabe King, and then we also have Demetrius, our Red Nation comrade, and my my little bro, and Jen calling in from Tiwa Territory here in Albuquerque. They were at my house about 40 minutes ago, and then I lost the microphone, so they had to go to Jen's <laughs> to record. <laughs> I'm glad we all made it on. And we traveled to make you this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we traveled through worlds. We traveled to Hollow Earth. <laughs> we dug a hole to China and back. Because <laughs> they do happened. that in the movie, they literally dig a hole to China, right? I thought that that was such a cliche. Anyway, we're going to talk more about that uh, in this episode. But before we get started, I um, just want to remind everyone to support our Patreon. Um, so we recently changed our Patreon. Uh, we were formerly listed under the Red Nation Podcast. You can now find us at Patreon.com under our new name, Red Media. So a little bit more about Red Media: it's a press and a media project run entirely for and by Indigenous people. We produce writing and work according to our own intellectual traditions, not those imposed upon us by settler culture. We believe in indigenous abundance and aim to inspire, caretake, and hold space for indigenous writers by providing them a platform they may not otherwise have. Red Media publishes a a bit, a wide range of work, including poetry, photography, indigenous botany, academic publications, Landis pedagogy, memoir, manifestos, children's books, and all kinds of things. Our mission is to nourish, sustain, and build indigenous movements that not only protect life on a planet on the verge of ecological collapse, but also provide models for a future premised on justice. We operate according to four principles. Indigenousness is a way of relating by any media necessary. We are not a minority and kill the capitalist in your head. Last one's my favorite one. Our podcasts are now officially part of Red Media, too. They feature interviews, talks, and short audio documentaries about politics, culture, and history from an Indigenous-left perspective. Red Power Hour is rejoining the Red Nation podcast as a special series hosted by me and, of course, Elena, who is here with us today. 
Uh, and the Red Nation podcast has a new co-host, Jen, Jen Marley, who is on this episode with us as well. Um, Jen recently joined Red Nation comrade Nick Estes on the Red Nation podcast. Whoop, whoop. And we're also excited to announce the publication of our first book as Red Media Press, The Red Deal, which officially launches on 420, again, intentional, is a political program for liberation that emerges from the oldest class struggle in the Americas, the fight by Native people for sovereignty, autonomy, and dignity. Stay tuned for more info on the official launch event, which will be on Thursday, April 22nd to commemorate Earth Day. And keep up with our social media feed for more info on the book, on Red Media, which now has all of its own socials on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and on Red Deal-related events, which you can find on our Red Media socials as well as our Red Nation socials. And a little bit more about our Red Nation podcast family. Um, we recently invited Indigenous-produced podcasts to become affiliated under a larger Indigenous media umbrella. So Bands of Turtle Island, which I mentioned a little earlier, has joined the Red Nation podcast family. And Bands of Turtle Island is a podcast for Indigenous people by Indigenous people, aiming to give a platform to the oppressed. And we also have Decolonized Buffalo, a decolonial theory podcast created to build solidarity within our communities by sharing political ideals, art, and stories. And don't forget, East is a podcast, which is hosted by our friend and, and comrade Sina Romani, who helps us with all of our podcast production. So make sure to check all three of these podcasts out. You can find links to them on our website at uh, www.therednation.org. And one more thing, The Red Nation is doing a shit ton of stuff. That's why I'm talking about all of it. But we're going to launch another spinoff series called Native Reads. It's a series featuring Indigenous writers interviewing other Indigenous writers. But we need to reach our goal of 2,000 patrons before we can do this. We are at 1,408 patrons, which is up 15 from two weeks ago. So that's awesome. So thanks to all of you who have joined since our last Red Power Hour recording. And of course, we use our Patreon funds for more than just producing our podcasts. Your Patreon subscriptions support mutual aid on Pine Ridge, community feeds for unsheltered relatives in Albuquerque, and now building Red Media. So please support us today. For more information about our podcast, you can email us at rednationpodcast at gmail.com. And for more information about the Red Nation, of course, you can visit our website, www.therednation.org. And again, please join our Patreon. Encourage everyone else to join our Patreon. You know, alleviate your white guilt or whatever by joining our Patreon. Give us some money. Give Indigenous peeps money producing Indigenous media. Patreon.com. Look us up under Red Media. Okay, now on to the good stuff. <laughs> Zitkato, this is, this is your moment to try to break down the plot of Godzilla v. Kong without That's any amazing. spoilers. Oh, without a spoiler? Wait, is that actually a rule? Wait, isn't that what you were going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any spoilers. I think you got to okay. spoil Wait, are there going to be some spoilers? I think so. Spoiler alert. Okay, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! King Kong wakes up in the freaking Truman Show. Or like, a, I guess, like the Hunger Games. He throws a javelin at the sky. And he's like, oh, this is fake because he's a smart guy. That's like foreshadowing. Nobody realizes it until later. <laughs> anyway, so like uh, the entire plot of the movie is based around this girl, Gia, who's uh, Iwi, which is a made up, you know, like from Skull Island indigenous group where they are like the tamers of Kong. And uh, she, she's deaf and secretly like sign languages with Kong, like low key and doesn't tell uh, this white anthropologist lady who calls her. Well, either the newspaper calls her the Kong Whisperer, or she calls herself that. And I'd like to think she calls herself that. <laughs> Just signs like all of her emails, Kong Whisperer. 
But <laughs> Wait, is that Gia or is that the white lady? The white lady. The white they lady call is her... called the Kong Whisperer? Yeah, in newspaper she, articles. She definitely calls herself that. She definitely calls herself. She thinks of herself like, what's that guy, the dog whisperer's name? Caesar something? I don't know. No, Robert Robert Redford was Redford was the horse whisperer. You remember? Oh, and isn't Robert Redford like the greatest friends to the Indians of the 20th century? Doesn't he like always narrate the documentaries about Indians? <laughs> Pretty next, much, yes. Next to Kevin Costner, of course. Yeah, yeah Kevin Costner. And like Costner, Mark Ruffalo. Mark yes. Ruffalo. <laughs> oh, and now uh, our there's greatest that one ally, guy who's uh, he's from New Zealand, and he's doing what's called reserv- reservation dogs. No idea what it's about, but anyway, oh, where were we? Um, the anthropologist lady, yeah. So she is friends with this one dude who's like a white a hole, uh, Doctor. Uh, I have his name written, Lind, Doctor Lind, uh, and his brother discovered the Hollow Earth or something, and like got murked trying to go in, and like because there's some fake science behind it where like there's a gravity inversion somehow inside the core of the earth that allows a sun or uh, energy source equivalent to the sun to power godzilla and other uh wait that was fake i'm assuming uh, no that yeah <laughs> actually it's totally real you know <laughs> Tr- wait hollow earth isn't real but like one of the biggest plot devices in this entire movie I loved was the fact that they used this podcaster, Bernie, okay, who's like, he's somehow implanted himself in Apex and just like randomly goes into this facility and starts downloading information and discovers Godzilla's eye. And he's like, oh my goodness. And then Godzilla comes in and just starts wrecking. I think it's Sydney, Australia. In the beginning. But like, it's Florida. They, is it Florida? Okay. <laughs> I believe you. Australia is right? basically Florida anyway. I don't know. It was Florida. It's Florida. It's, it's Florida. definitely Florida. It? Okay. Yeah, because it's the U.S. Uh, so, um, like, you find out that the, the guy from the previous movie, Godzilla King of Monsters, is Shiro uh, Sirozawa. He, uh, his son is working with Apex now to control something. <laughs> You'll find out later in the movie. I won't lose that. I gotta figure out where not to spoil things. But Millie Bobby Brown from the previous movie, she comes in and she's friends with this guy and somehow they end up in Hong Kong. Just casually. Like, just conveniently get shot across in like a... They Elon dig a Musk. hole to China, dog. <laughs> well, no, I'm talking about when they get shipped off with that egg, right? They get oh. shipped off with this egg that's, ge- first off, a genetically modified Titan. That's... Oh, they're playing God. They're making Titans for Mecha Gods. Well, oh, for their creation to kill. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> but uh, they get shipped out all the way across the world in like two seconds in like an Elon Musk, what's it called? His freaking stupid tube, vacuum sealed tube. What's that thing? Hyperloop? Hyperloop. Wait, so a Hyperloop is real, but like Hollow Earth isn't real? Hollow Earth might be real. No. <laughs> I don't believe you. Hi- Hyperloop is evidence. only real if you use if you use lithium mined in Bolivia. But well, this is actually kind of Yoden. Well, that's whack. Go on though. Hollow Earth was totally disproved actually by the mid 1700s. Onward. So one of okay, <laughs> one of the Yoden things I noticed in this is at the beginning they take like a common conspiracy theories like interview with this guy Admiral. Richard Bird, I think Richard E. Bird, 
where like on ancient aliens they've done like 30 episodes on this where he supposedly flew into hollow earth so in like the opening credits they're playing this dude's audio and for some reason i psychotically know the audio by heart i'm like oh that's his voice oh no so um they end up finding hollow earth by tricking godzilla well first off they trick the indigenous girl to lie to Godzilla, not Godzilla, King Kong. Uh, and then King Kong leads them into the hollow earth where they go in and they find the sweet tomahawk made out of a Mudo, which is from the first Godzilla from 2014 movie. It's his bone. And then a Godzilla dorsal fin. So it's like the Kong race, the Kong civilization, whatever you want to call them. Cause they also built a civilization down there with like a, uh, Michelangelo meeting God moment. What's that painting called? I don't know. Anyway, uh, freaking, <laughs> he gets this sweet tomahawk, throws it in the ground, and it like lights up this Godzilla around this throne, which then makes Godzilla, while he was already on his way to uh, Tokyo after Mecha Godzilla blows this. Hong Kong, model. dog. Hong Kong. Oh, yeah, Hong Kong. Sorry. People <laughs> <laughs> are so confused. I told you it's going to be like a 23-year-old stoner explaining this movie. Because <laughs> I want it to be Tokyo because it should have been Tokyo. Why did they go in Hong Kong? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> well, uh, so anyway, King Kong, not King Kong. King, well, King Kong's down there and he blows up this lady who's working with the CEO of Apex. He just like grabs her out of the air and goes, Psh. it's funny. Because she tries stealing the energy uh, from the hollow earth. We'll get to that. Godzilla shoots down, he just aims down, she just aims down and just blows a hole down to the Hollow Earth, which is like, why did they have this entire plot with these vehicles that need needed to go down there? And like, they had to go through special tunnels, but Godzilla's just like, nah, I'm just gonna... And then that's the, the end of that. And then King Kong jumps, well, jumps down, but goes up. However, that works. <laughs> Jumps down using the Hatamahawk to like slow himself down and then falls up and then starts fighting Godzilla. Godzilla whoops King Kong's butt, dislocates his shoulder, True. Sc- screams in his face and starts like walking. And then all of a sudden, um, Mecha Godzilla starts up, but they have the new power source that they just stole. And uh, it fries dude's brain and presumably the soul of King Ghidorah is wreaking revenge on the white people for trying to take over his, you know, remains and disturbing his grave. And uh, Mecha Godzilla then becomes its own thing, kills CEO of Apex, which, you know, praxis of the week. <laughs> and then uh, they get into this sweet fight where, like, Mecha Godzilla has rocket launchers on its back and, like, rocket propellers whoops whoop and godzilla's butt and then they like do uh like a jumper uh, what's it called a uh, aep machine the for heart attack people the king kong's heart stopping and so they start it back up by blowing up one of these super vehicles that cost trillions of dollars uh king kong comes up and he like just he saves well first off they did the classic like king kong moment from like that 2010 movie where he's like ripping open the jaws and about to like blow the laser down Godzilla's mouth. It would have been pretty cool, actually. I think <laughs> it was sad. <laughs> and then Godzilla, not Godzilla, King Kong jumps on his back and then shoves his mouth up, blah, 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 blah. They beat him up and like shove him through a building like he's a nerd. And then uh, Godzilla swims off into the distance, where which is a reverse of the old 
one where King Kong was the one who swam away. <laughs> Just a monkey swimming off into the ocean was the old 60s one. Wait, seriously? Funny. Yeah, it's so weird. Well, that's the American ending. But it's really weird. That is really weird. And then uh, King Kong's on a reservation in uh, Hollow Earth. And that's how the movie ends. Bam. Dang, in 10 minutes or less, that's what happened in Godzilla versus Kong. I think you got um, Kong and Godzilla mixed up a few times. Three million times. <laughs> um, so King Kong does not shoot lasers into the mouths of other creatures. Just to let you guys know, that's Godzilla. <laughs> and but now you content. know what the movie's about. You don't even need to watch it because of that because of that breakdown. And it's really hot. Um, um, not not Tokyo, even though it should be Tokyo because Blue Oyster Cult tells us it's Tokyo, but it's really not a Hong Kong. So yeah. We initially went into this kind of like being on team Godzilla or team Kong, right? And then we like viciously fought. A bunch of us in Red Nation got together and watched the movie a week ago together. There were like 15 of us. We were screaming at each other. <laughs> it was a fight funny. club. It was fight club. D was the loudest. D was the loudest pro, pro Kong. But uh, I think it, by the end of the movie, we were all just kind of like pro both of them and anti-settler fuckery. <laughs> But let's talk about Godzilla. I was uh, I was team Godzilla. But I, we think that Godzilla represents a lot of really crazy shit in this movie. But um, imperialism, right? So Godzilla, like in the in the past, has has represented like um, nuclear development and the threat of nuclear warfare, and kind of still represents that in this movie. But because it has been shifted to like a U.S. centric kind of narrative and an American narrative. Um, I think Godzilla represents kind of like an ever-present danger of anything that might be threatening U.S. imperialism. And so the United States has to react by building like Mecha Godzilla, which is super fucked up. Um, it's basically an assemblage of like the bones of Godzilla and Kong's ancestors, <laughs> basically. Um, so just like a bunch of grave robbers and bone collectors. And then they assemble it into this like mega weapon that becomes Mecha Godzilla to uh, overthrow the Titans. So that human beings can be the apex predator. But yeah, what do y'all what do y'all think about about Godzilla? What else does Godzilla rep in this movie? Well, I love Godzilla from the beginning um, because Godzilla seems to just get shit done. Godzilla comes in, he fucks shit up, he leaves, he swims off into the ocean, and he doesn't show any emotion like we were talking about earlier. Zero fucks given. Uh, Godzilla is just one badass. And I learned something earlier from Zakato, thank you, because I did not know this, and D, that Godzilla's actually female. So I was wondering why I was so uh, drawn to Godzilla. I did not know Godzilla was a she. So there you go. <laughs> she is she is one badass lizard. And uh, I, I just... I didn't really relate too much to Kong's feels and, you know, Kong's being depressed and that Kong needed antidepressants. Um, Kong was sad, but Godzilla, on the other hand, Godzilla just comes and fucks shit up and then leaves. It's like, she's just one, one badass. Earlier Godzilla was all about Japan um, because of course the first Godzilla came from Japan. And I think back in, in the early days, the black and white, films as uh, dr mel says godzilla represented 
Japanese anxiety about um, nuclear weapons and the real PTSD of, of having two of their, their cities bombed by the U.S. in World War II. Um, and it's interesting, the shift now, we don't have Tokyo. Instead, we have Hong Kong. So Godzilla has sort of shifted nationalities and is now actually China rather than Japan, which is an interesting geopolitical shift and um, probably to the United States represents more of this perceived threat of China um, as the the new communist threat to U.S. imperialism and blah, blah, blah. Um, I just like her because I think she's badass. I mean, Godzilla's still Japanese, but like it's just the backdrop for the final fight is in Hong Kong and you know, Apex has facilities in Hong Kong and that's where the Mecha Godzilla was constructed. So maybe, but yeah, but you're still right. It probably, maybe the Mecha Godzilla represents those anxieties about like, uh, I don't know, Chinese uh, like weapons and like that, you know, those US anxieties. But at the same time, so I was, I was the, uh, you know, team Godzilla because, um, so Lena and I were from Northern New Mexico, we're Tewa, and um, our land was seized and stolen to create the first nuclear bomb. It was the site of the, the first site of the Manhattan Project. So uh, we know a thing or two about nuclear colonialism. And so I always appreciated that Godzilla was um, like anti-nuclear propaganda, right? And um, I think today, though, or in the new movie, it's, um, it's also like a warning about, you know, the ecological disasters that can come from uh, irradiated ecosystems. But what I loved about Godzilla is that they knew from the get-go exactly what was happening. And they come in with the intention of destroying the Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, like Elena said, very no fucks given. But unlike Kong, who goes through the whole movie trying to develop their character and figure out who the enemy is, which they don't realize until the very end, Godzilla was always aware that the enemy was U.S. imperialism. Seems like they were aware of what had been done. Okay, so I've been kind of holding my tongue. Okay, I was going to say some really nice things about Godzilla, and I guess I still will, but <sighs> like the way y'all are like interpreting Kong is just kind of like, mm, I'm about to go hard in the paint right here. Okay, so yes, Godzilla, like I've gained like a lot of more like understanding of like who Godzilla is and like what they represent. Like in this film, like just talking with everyone here on the podcast, but at the same time, like, Y'all saying, like, Kong doesn't understand, like, who, like, the real enemy is or, like, who, like, like, U.S. imperialism. Like, have y'all even watched Kong Skull Island, which was, like, the, like, 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 Kong's kind of just, like, emergence into, like, this universe is that the U.S. military and monarch came into his, came onto his island and Kong defended his island against the u.s military to the point where monarch and kong just kind of had like this understanding of like okay you know what you're you're the king around here like that's cool like it's all yours like we'll leave and just like thank you for like not killing us like the researchers but like killing like all these tanks and ships and stuff like kong knows like the u.s military is trash and he 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 defended his island like he literally was like a land defender and not only well but also, like, not to even just, like, like, I want to talk good about Godzilla, too. Like, because what I learned about Godzilla and, like, it, like 
Godzilla shooting that beam into like the middle to like hollow earth. Like that just, I was like saying like, okay, so Kong like was like kidnapped and like he had, like he was lied to, to go to hollow earth to like kind of guide this team to, I don't know, whatever they were trying to, the energy source. But the fact that Godzilla could just like blow a hole through the earth was just kind of just like, you know what? Fuck all these processes. Fuck all like this, all these rules. I'm just going to do it my way and blow a hole. Like, it's like not even that hard, guys. Like, to <laughs> me, like, it's just like, yo, Kong, our Godzilla is just like a strong ass indigenous woman. <laughs> and just like, like, fuck all these. Like, I'm just going to defend my land. I'm just going to, I'm just going to fuck shit up. And like, whoever can stop me, like, try to stop me. But you can't. So, except Kong. Kong kind of, I'm, never mind, never mind. So, I mean, Kong is definitely a racialized character. Kong has always been coded as indigenous in like every iteration of, of, of King Kong, right? And yeah, so we talked a lot about that. Like he is... And he's definitely gendered who, too. Yeah. Like I didn't ever understand that Godzilla was... Maybe I just haven't watched enough Godzilla movies. I didn't understand that Godzilla was, was female. So I... Babies. But I did know that Kong has definitely always been gendered. I was I was saying earlier that like the original King Kong narrative, well, D, well, D was saying King Kong story is always tragic, and um, I was saying it's kind of just like like an allegory for like you know the good old fashioned like um, I guess kind of like white man's burden narrative <laughs> where he's just um, like so. First of all, the story reminds me of like human zoos, right? Like people being stolen from their land and being made into a spectacle for like uh, white Western audiences. And then he's also like this threat to like the purity of white womanhood. Right. And like, he, he has no chance of like existing in the world other than being like a spectacle. And so he has this tragic death. Right. In this, like, unfortunately it's just like, just a rehashing of that same like storyline for a new era. Like he is, kept captive right he's on the he's on the reservation and then at the end he's literally relegated to the old world and um we kept talking about the way um that kind of resonated with the you know those of us you know those indigenous people who have stories about emergence from an old world to a new world and how like the hollow earth like literally represents that and where else could he possibly like exist he's like literally relegated to the past he's sent back to the below world and like in that way has no chance of like, um, you know, existing in, in contemporary times, just as indigenous people historically have been relegated to the past by anthropologists and ethnographers. Is that, that's something I found interesting in the beginning was like, it's just sort of like a throwaway line that they like throw out there when uh, Dr. Lynn's talking to anthropologist white lady. Uh, and what's her name? I don't, I don't know. Who cares? Anyway, so he's like, you used to believe that Skull Island was Hollow Earth come to the surface, right? And uh, they just never talked about that again. (laughs) And so, like, that was like, when uh, earlier in our conversation beforehand, when somebody said, uh, no, Skull Island's the reservation, I think that kind of, like, confirmed it for me on my rewatch. Well, and then the, the, the little girl, Gia, who's the little indigenous girl who who is the communicator. She communicates with Kong and she's deaf. So she literally is 
being fed two two different narratives, one from the white anthropologist who's her caregiver and the other from Kong. So she's caught in the middle, but she doesn't, she's the last of her kind and she's the only one who can communicate with Kong. So she ends up going to hollow earth with Kong as sort of the last indigenous person to return to this underworld reservation, hollow earth place. And it's a very bizarre it reminded me kind of of Ishi, the last of the Yahi, who also is taken by anthropologists to live in a museum and ultimately, ha- I mean, lived a very sad life because his only people that he communicated with were white anthropologists. And they actually had him living in a museum. And that's what that little girl reminded me of. It was very, very uh, sad commentary on where dominant culture thinks indigenous people should be or are. In some ways, uh, like Gia and Kong are interchangeable as characters that represent like who indigenous people are in the popular imaginary of most Americans watching this movie, right? Because she's like, she doesn't even get to speak. She only exists through the world of sign language. Um, I mean, she can communicate with other humans like her white mom savior, the white anthropologist lady who caretakes her and found her like the last of her people um, kind of situation, but she only gets to communicate with like the ape, <laughs> you know, through sign language. And she's studied like Ishii, she's studied and so is Kong. So actually Kong is incarcerated through the entire film with the exception of when as D point, or I think Nick maybe pointed this out when we were all watching it together, Kong is sedated. He's literally like tranquilized for half of the movie. And the only time when he's awake, he's being forced to fight pretty much like being forced by the U S military or like by these like settler protagonists to fight on behalf of something. And then he just gets really exhausted again and wants to pass out, but he has like zero freedom and almost actually almost no agency throughout the entire film. You do feel very sorry for Kong. The first scene as um, Zinkato said, is like a Truman show (laughs) flashback. Kong is on skull Island, but he's inside of like a cage Um, like a very advanced technological cage. And then he's in chains as they're transporting him to, was it Antarctica or wherever with the stupid human made tube, the door, the door tube to hollow earth. And then they get Gia to like lie to him, to convince him to go into the stupid tube because he thinks he's going to find his family. And then he leads them in their dumb spacecraft stuff into hollow earth. And then he has to fight all these. Other, what's that? He free. He free, he free falls. falls through like how does he dimensions that? through multiple dimensions without oxygen? I'm assuming because like, they were like, the "Oh, these spaceships we build can barely survive this." And I'm like, "But Kong can." Well, like Kong can. Okay. Anyway, interesting scientific, you know, theory being presented in the movie. But by the time the movie ends, Kong is back in Hollow Earth. But Hollow Earth is basically like a theme park, like a a biodome theme park where both he and Gia are being studied. And there's like all of these like dumb scientists in suits. And then the white anthropologist lady. And also the U S military is there. There's like a lot of collaboration between the military and anthropologists in this movie too. And all those characters are white, right? Studying the Indians and like surveilling Indians and keeping them locked up and like using Indians to advance scientific knowledge and like the construction of like weapons for U S imperialism. So it's very like, it's pretty much just like a what the U.S. thinks about Native people. 
and then the whole resource extraction element. I don't want to like, if anyone else wants to talk about this, but the whole motivation for the white dude scientist to collaborate with the military and um, Apex, which is this like, what would you call it? Like a weapons manufacturer or like a, like a kind of an Elon Musk kind of crossover with the U.S. military, like a private weapons manufacturing corporation. The whole motivation to get Kong to lead them to hollow earth is so that they can extract the whatever it is, the thing that gives Godzilla um, her power, that blue shiny stuff. I don't know what the word is for it, but they actually just want to go into this like indigenous land where Kong and Godzilla are from to extract resources in order to take it back to the surface so they can make a profit on it to build weapons for like human advancement. And like, it's pretty much just the story of settler colonialism and imperialism against native people. Once again, yeah, I want to talk a little more about Gia. So I was saying that she literally represents every single cliche about natives out there all in one. She doesn't, she like literally doesn't like have a voice. I think the fact that she's a child and she's a, she's a girl says a lot. Mm. She said to be the last of her kind. She has like these like mystical powers. She's like so in tune with nature and with Kong, like just mystical flute music ass shit. <laughs> um, she's the code talker, like literally. She's a scout who works on behalf of these this US military project. And she's like simultaneously infantilized and and like glorified or like romanticized as like the last living like supernatural like indigenous person from Skull Island. So I just thought I was like, wow, they really, they really did it. They really did it all in one this time. And they I bet they just think it's so fucking progressive. <laughs> like <laughs> Well, it is progressive in like the US mind because the protagonists are both women, white women, right? Um, it's very popular these days to have white women leading Oscar worthy performances and shit because the the two white men in the film, the dude, the the dude, <laughs> whatever, I don't care what their names are. And then the CEO of Apex, who's kind of like the super villain or whatever, they're like the lamest characters in the whole movie, right? They're just like kind of these bumbling idiots. They're, they just destroy things. Their lines are even kind of not very interesting. And so there's this like shift, right? In American popular culture, because partly because of Me Too, right? Me Too and Time's Up, where like white men aren't leads in movies anymore. And if they are leads and they have these like roles, they're kind of throwaway roles, the way that indigenous people get, get throwaway roles, like black characters are often throwaway roles, right? Um, and actually another protagonist is like um, Bernie. His name's Bernie, right? He's a, he's a black podcaster. And he's actually one of the heroes of the entire movie. Him, this Maori kid, and then the white girl. Well, he, he's a primary plot device like they cannot move the f movie forward without him yet like you kind of like there's no character development you just sort of see him as this crazy guy who like they throw out like the fluoride conspiracy theory with him and stuff like that and so it's like it's cool that he's such an important role but i wish like he was taken a little more serious yeah because he you, like, you do yeah. get like the the fact i mean i I saw him as a crucial character, but he is kind of foolish. Like there's there, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not presented as a strong character. He's presented as kind of this crazy conspiracy theorist who happened 
to get one or two things right, and mostly by accident. And the white, the white male, the guy whose brother was the one who discovered Hollow Earth, that's a fucking scars guard. Like his brother played Pennywise the clown in it, and he just played Satan in the stand. Like he had, and before that, he was a vampire in True Blood. Like this is a guy who's been every evil thing that that American people can come up with, from Satan to a vampire, and you know his his whole family plays in these these crazy ass um, supernatural parts, and there he is, like totally vanilla, like no characterization, or uh, he's just there to deliver stupid lines. And, and be a figure that sort of gets Gia and the white anthropologist woman down to hollow earth. That's basically the only like role he plays and that his brother discovered it. Yeah. So he's a plot device too, but the, the Maori sidekick to the, one of the main characters, one of the young white women, the, the white women are actually, I think the main characters, the human main characters, of course, Kong, I'd say Godzilla is like kind of a main character, but I'm going to continue to argue that Godzilla has very little agency in the way that she's portrayed and actually has zero character development, which continues to piss me <laughs> off. Even though Kong had a great deal of character development, I would say Kong and then the two white ladies and probably Gia are the main characters who actually have some sort of character development in the film. But this like kind of narrative of the the strong white woman who moralizes about like, we shouldn't treat Kong this way. So the the white lady anthropologist is like Kong's caretaker, where she moralizes about how we should treat Kong with dignity. And then um, Tim, I was going to say Billy Bob Thornton. What's that girl's name? <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton. Could you imagine that movie? Could you imagine how different the tone would be? Ref Billy Bob Thornton going up to Kong. <laughs> Uh, Bobby Jean, I, I don't know, whatever her name is, she's the caretaker for Godzilla. Bobby Millie Brown. What's that? Bobby Millie Brown. Bobby Millie Brown. I knew the first name was Bobby or Billy. Bobby Millie Brown. <laughs> she's like the caretaker of Godzilla. She's like the counterpart to the the white lady anthropologist, but the two of them are definitely the protagonists. They're not plot devices. I- I mean, the, the Maori sidekick, too, it's like that's also just another like instance of like, you know, the inclusion of indigenous people. But once again, he's like he's the side. He's like the comic relief. He's just like every single sidekick cliche rolled into one. He's hot as damn shit, though. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, the indigenous man and the black man are both just like foolish sidekicks. In this movie, yeah. it's really racist, actually. No. They're like the most, uh, like they're both. They both kind of serve as the comic relief, and they're they're kind of thought to. I mean, in a way, it's almost like they're the counterparts to the to the white bumbling idiots, even though they're like more central to the story for sure. And um, yup, the disrespect is real. On the evil side, the people of color were also the sidekicks, like the Asian dude. Got his brain fried. Yup. I mean, I don't know. Would you rather... Here's a question. Would you rather have your brain fried by Ghidorah or by Mechagodzilla with a laser beam? Because <laughs> that's what happened to the Apex guy. So. Wasn't, wasn't the daughter of the CEO 
of Apex, the one who got crushed by Godzilla down on Hollow yes. Earth, wasn't she like Latina or something? Oh, maybe she was. Well, she was also. She was, well, he had an accent. It was like it was like neoliberal multiculturalism, but with like Godzilla and King Kong. And she was yeah. just she was just evil, one dimensional evil. Anyway, uh-huh. well, so they really he. did check out the boxes. Representation, <laughs> right? But the the, the, democracy. the 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 lines <laughs> that that white anthropologist woman, the best line in the whole movie, Kong bows to no one, like whoa. Sure got his shoulder dislocated by someone though. Well, yes. Yes, he Dude, did. but then he just put it back in like by himself, like a fucking boss. Mm-hmm. He like yeah. put his shoulder back in by ramming his ass into a fucking building and hung. <laughs> like, that's metal. <laughs> and then, like my man, like had to cr- he crawled out of like Hollow Earth, which is like how many like hundreds of miles below like the Earth's surface. And then he once he got up, like he's just like okay, like what, like. Now I gotta fight this giant ass lizard, and like, like what, like what, like, and this is like all after like he was just like drugged up and just like free falled all the way to Hollow Earth. Oh, and then like not only not only mentioning like, like he just realized like yo, I actually don't have a family. Like everyone's dead, and like I'm the last of my kind. Like, <laughs> like how like how are you gonna like equate like all of that like, and just say like you know what Kong got his ass kicked. It's just like dog like. He 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 is he is quite literally a bigger man than me. So, well, who was the real bigger person? Okay, Godzilla could have killed Kong at multiple points and didn't, because Godzilla knew that Kong was not the enemy. Mercy, righteous mercy, which to me kind of like already speaks volumes about like. Godzilla just being the apex predator, even like in a Godzilla. If Mecha Godzilla didn't exist, King Kong's losing. Dude, let's talk about Mecha Godzilla, that fucker. <laughs> Mecha so Godzilla is so fucking scary. So we were talking about gender earlier, right? And how we didn't know that Godzilla was female. Mecha Godzilla definitely felt male to me, like like on purpose. No. D, you're shaking your head. Well, to be <laughs> fair, uh, it's made up of like different, literally parts. all male like parts. Like, because King Ghidorah is probably it's like we're generating these like gigantic creatures. <laughs> like, King Ghidorah is It's because it's King Ghidorah. Like, but like uh, maybe like each head has a different. We got to really ask these questions. I don't know the deeper thought. <laughs> is there like Mecha Godzilla lore that I don't know? I wish because the old Mecha Godzilla. I have a still frame. I'll send in Telegram later. Has spaghetti misspelled? <laughs> it's such a cheesy movie. I love it. D, you, I, I'm waiting. Go off, D. <laughs> We're live, dog. I, I I I just like forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> I was like, how do you misspell? Like how, like all the different ways you could spell mis misspell spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, now I feel like I need to quickly send this. Hold on. I don't know. Like, okay, but like, this is just gonna be like something. Like when you said, like, what, like, what is like Mecha Godzilla gendered? It's funny because like I, I just remember like, just like in my personal life, like I would, I, I have my truck, right? Like a, like an old like Chevy pickup truck, all made of metal. 
And like what I like to do, like just like in typical, just like man fashion, just be like, you know what, this is my big girl. Just slap, <laughs> just slap the back of the truck. Just be like, this is this old lady just gives me like where I need to go. <laughs> and then like I just get I just get scolded all the time by like indigenous like feminists and just like women just be like why are you like gendering your truck like that's weird dog <laughs> like what the fuck is wrong with you and all that, i'm like naming it like like a zonso like big lady just like <laughs> and so like i stopped like i stopped so like when you just said like what is like mecha godzilla's gender like it just like flashed back to me and i was just like no like let's Let's not let's not gender uh, metal pieces of uh, machinery. But Mechagodzilla is literally King Ghidorah. Like, well, first it was controlled by that that Japanese dude, yeah, and then King Ghidorah's spirit comes back and fries him and takes over, and and he has it out for Godzilla. Well, I also think Mechagodzilla is a little bit like, like, and we talked about this earlier too, like this movie has a very incoherent narrative. Like there's so much symbolism that is drawn from so many places. And I see Mechagodzilla almost as like Frankenstein. I mean, they grave robbed to put together, mm-hmm. um, to put together Mechagodzilla, Mechagodzilla and created this thing that is part bones, part metal, and then, you know, brought to life and driven by a man. Um, but, but also they talk about the Titans. So Frankenstein was written by a woman and is sort of the subtitle of Frankenstein was actually a modern Prometheus, which is one of the Greek Titans um, actually. And Prometheus is the one who brings fire to human beings and is therefore punished by Zeus to be chained to a rock and have an eagle eat his liver every day. Um, but bringing fi- but the, the, the metaphor for bringing fire is also one that's been used for um, atomic bombs. And um, I'm going to do a deep dive into the rabbit hole here because um, J. Robert Oppenheimer, after the first nuclear or the first atomic bomb was detonated at Trinity site, said we as in the physicists have known sin um by creating this thing and that idea of of sin also applies to prometheus and um giving human beings this gift of fire or nuclear power which is what kong and godzilla are both trying to fight against and and particularly godzilla because godzilla was created by radioactive waste after Japan was hit by two uh, atomic bombs during World War II. So there's this whole idea of, of mythology and it's, it's white Western mythology um, mixed in with these, with these creatures. Uh, And then you have Kong though, with a very, you know, is coded as, as indigenous. So how do you bring that into this whole concept of, of nuclearism and the age of, of nuclearism. And it is, it is very interesting that um, you have this giant indigenous character um, along with this basically irradiated character fighting against human beings and fighting for the um, fighting against humans being apex predators. 
do you all think that Godzilla is coded as indigenous as well? But like a different kind of archetype of like the ungovernable kind of indigenous resistor that's like the protector of the earth restores balance because of human or man-made or man-caused destruction kind of like a code yes. for climate change um yeah because godzilla and kong come from the same place right and they can both mm-hmm. channel that same kind of mystical power that blue energy thing that comes from hollow earth so i wanted to talk about this earlier but like at the beginning you see that they're ancient enemies, right? Which is specifically applied to the context of the Southwest referring to beef between Pueblos and Navajos. So I thought that was so fucking silly because like us, they come from the same land base and are like said to be pitted against each other since ancient times. And I just thought that was silly as fuck. Um, So yeah, I think they're absolutely both coded as indigenous, but like, um, yeah, different archetypes for sure. And what I love about Godzilla is that um, they've got that vengeful attitude going and like, it's like, yeah, I was poisoned by this radiation and they like, you know, with their powers, like go back and, you know, destroy that which made them so and or, you know, at least try to. And so I, I, I don't know. That's what I think is badass about Godzilla and Godzilla's story. Yeah, Godzilla has a really strong sense of justice, which I love about her. But also, isn't it that Jody Bird, um, Chickasaw scholar, talks about how, like, the enemy combatant is the original kind of figure against which, like, U.S. imperialism justifies its constant war making in the world. And that actually the original enemy combatant is, like, the Geronimo figure or the indigenous um, kind of radical fighting against U.S. imperialism on the U.S., the the frontier, talking about Westerns and kind of going back to that frontier, Elena. And so I would say that in a way, because Godzilla originally represented like the threat, um, the threat to like U.S. hegemony and imperialism, um, kind of the the gross kind of Frankenstein figure that comes out of the United States dropping nukes on Japan, right? It's like the ghost that haunts U.S. imperialism that then the United States has to strike down again and again. And that's kind of the same thing that's happening in this movie, because the only reason why Godzilla attacks that apex facility in Florida is because Godzilla is like, you motherfuckers are constructing another weapon of mass destruction called Mecha Godzilla. And I'm going to like fucking destroy it before you come out here and you kill all of these people and you try to destroy the earth again. And that's why she attacks that facility, right? And constructing it out of the bones of their, of, of her ancestors. I mean, that's, that's like, seriously fucked up but it's it, it it's it's also very much what happened and i love that what jen said about um because there's a line in the movie and i don't remember exactly what it was but but it's something and it, i think it was the white anthropologist lady who says myth tells us that their ancestors fought one another or they were ancient enemies and fought a great war and of course that's what colonialism tells us um about our ancestors the pueblo and and Diné, that we we were always fighting and that was that was a way to to control the narrative and to justify land theft and colonization in New Mexico. Well, we're protecting the Pueblo people from the Diné because they stole your land and they were always, you know, raiding your communities. And those were the narratives that we grew up with. So it's literally the same thing. They've constructed this narrative around Godzilla and Kong to make them enemies when in reality, um, 
what made them enemies was imperialism, um, nuclearism, and um, and and the the destruction of the environment. Yes, let's go. I think of them as cousins. (laughs) (laughs) Little Raz knowledge there. Husbands. No, no, like those those were like really like amazing points. Like my mind's being blown right now. But like the thing with Kong too, they say long ago our people when they emerged from the earth. We, ha- we were given five fingers, and we have thumbs, and King Kong has a thumb. Shut the hell up. <laughs> King Kong is the soul of Indian country. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. okay. That was your whole point, D? That, that was it. We have thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Great ending. Wait, so basically what we're saying is that Godzilla and Kong are both indigenous but they're just like different archetypes that are constructed through like the U.S. imperialist imaginary to justify like on like a never-ending war, the forever war that is the United States. So I got a question. Then I'm I'm gonna follow through on this. So then why does like if we're thinking about like Kong and Godzilla's different versions of like the Indian, the Indian, the subject position Indian that's created by U.S. imperialism, why does Kong cooperate then like with his own incarceration essentially his own captivity i mean i know we know that native people did but they were like scorch earthed into that shit they were like genocided into or onto reservations right or they were like starved and forced to do that so like was kong in that position i I don't understand what happened in skull island to then when he's like in the big dome i I think it has everything to do with gia yeah that's what i was gonna say because because the only connection that he does have, like, to home or to, like, anything is, like, through Gia. And that's why Gia always holds up, like, the little, like, Kong doll. And, like, that's why, like, Kong, like, trusted Gia to the point where, like, they connect, like, they, they touch, like, on the ship. Like, it's just, like, the little hand touched the finger. And, like, I think Kong, like, in some way, like, understands that Gia, like, is the only person that he can trust. And so, like, he doesn't just want to go, like, on a rampage and, like, endanger, like, Gia's, like, safety or anything. Like, that that that's his main one. That's his homie. It's his only homie, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, like, at the end, what he, you know, like, how he's put back um, into, you know, to the hollow earth is, I think, one, it reinforces the idea that indigenous people want to go back, right? We we want to be relegated to the past that we've bought into these anthropological notions of like authenticity where, you know, we're only authentic in the past or in these environments, like on the reservation. Right. And um, yeah. And I think, yeah, like D said, it has to do with um, him and Gia sticking together because they're like the last of their kind. Right. And um at the end, they're like both being studied in that like closed environment in Hollow Earth. I think just to, it's like I think the point is to kind of like not only reinforce all these old time anthro, um, you know, ideas, but it's to like basically say like, 
well, Kong, like, has accepted that this is what's best for him, right? Just real quick, too. Like, I just think it's funny. Like, when they bring Kong to Hollow Earth, they're just, like, he'll know, like, the lay of the land. Like, once he gets back, like, he'll just know. Like, and, like, I guess Kong does, but it's just, it's just funny. Like, <laughs> like what if Kong was just, like, I I don't know where the heck I am, dog. Like, I just flipped, like, three times before getting here. Like, I don't, what the heck is this place? Dang, this makes me think. I'm just getting very yoded. I'm, like, deeply saddened now that we have this, like, deep analysis of Kong and Godzilla as cousins. They're both, like, different versions of Indians. And Kong is just, like, accepting. Almost like, what does she say? What does the white anthropologist say? No one, um, Kong... Wait, what did you say? The Kong bows to no one. Kong bows to no one. The, the line that they stole from Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> but Kong does bow. He bows to U.S. imperialism, doesn't he? Because of Gia, like what you were describing in a way, D. So I'm just trying to think about like futurity, like decolonization and like native people who are trying to create a future for indigenous people, which would fundamentally mean like the overturning of a settler order, right? And the, the 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 dismantling of U.S. imperialism does like Godzilla hold more promise because yes. Godzilla is interesting because she's actually like she takes the death machine that is like U.S. imperialism she fucking eats it up and she just fires it right back <laughs> at the enemy she's actually like strangely strengthened by that which is supposed to destroy her so she just like assimilates it and then she's like fuck you this makes me stronger. I'm just going to come in. I'm going to blast a hole to the center of the earth. It's going to go 2,000 feet in five minutes. And then I'm just going to destroy Hong Kong. <laughs> and then I'm going to swim away. And, and then I'm going to swim away and I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. And- I'll see you next year. Yeah. I'll see you next year. Like for the sequel. Don't fuck with me. That's that's a really good thing. Like a good point, Dr. Mill. And like, here's like kind of just like my like thoughts about it. Like maybe like... Godzilla represents maybe like some, some something like the Red Nation, like indigenous people that have like an understanding of what the fuck is going on. And like they have like this power and they're just like, you know what, fuck this. Like, I'm just going to destroy all this bullshit like U.S. imperialism. And then Kong's like someone maybe that understands like who the bad people are, but like doesn't have like that total like analysis that doesn't make them any like less indigenous or like any less like powerful but maybe like if godzilla just came in to be like you know what dog we don't have to fight like we know like i know who the real enemy is like my bad for like getting mad at you like getting anti-mode on you but like at the same time like you know what like if you if you don't want these people here like you have the power to like have them not be here and i don't know that's that's how like i I just thought of it just right now i also think like, it's literally good Indian and bad Indian, what they're doing, TBH. Because remember how in the beginning, they're like, Godzilla was once a friend. But now that they've destroyed this facility, we see that they're not. So like, and like, we need to protect the world from Titans, like from, from the bad Indians, right? I think that's exactly what they did. It's, uh, it's overdone. Yeah, I definitely think Godzilla is like a water protector and a land protector and a treaty protector. And Kong is like the sort of indigenous artist bougie type who just wants to live in a beautiful place 
the and liberal. <laughs> no one. How did you get there, Lena? Kong is hella pro. Kong is pro. I mean, Kong literally fought the whole ass military. Like, how is, like, no way. Like, you're not going to tell me, like, any, like, Santa Fe, like, bougie artist is going to be out there, like, fighting cops. Like, Kong is like, give Kong, put some respect on Kong's name. But also, like, I, I don't know. I So, like, Kong is... Kong doesn't have radioactive superpowers. Like Godzilla's so OP, right? When people like think of the idea of Godzilla versus Kong, they're like, that's almost unfair, right? Because of how OP Godzilla is. And I think that's something that kind of constructs more sympathy towards Kong. Like Kong is kind of um, seen as representing like primitivity and like Godzilla is representing like, you know, uh, I guess technological advancements. And so I think in that way, too, it kind of like reinforces the good Indian or the authentic Indian being Kong and the, uh, you know, the bad Indian or that who has been corrupted, like is being Godzilla or that that is that who seeks vengeance. But I think they're both land and water protectors. I just think that Godzilla is more intentional about the protection of water and land. And I think like if we want to talk about like their class consciousness or like whatever. <laughs> What's the class character of God's <laughs> Like, I think uh, Kong represents like a rugged resi prole who is still developing, you know? Okay, I was just joking, D. I really don't think that, that <laughs> Kong is a Santa Fe bougie artist. I was just trying to get, well, I was just trying to get your get a rise out of you. Oh, you got it. You got it. But also, like, Kong's, like, Kong's, like, still, like, a, like, a young, like, a young kind of son of a gun. Like, oh, yeah. Like, in the, like, in Skull Island, like, he was only, like, he was, like, it was said, like, he was, like, a baby. And, like, I don't, like, it, maybe, like, a couple decades have passed since, like, Skull Island. But, yeah, like, Kong's still, like, relatively, like, young. Like, he's, like, an adolescent. Like, he's growing. Like, like you with your truck. Oh my god. <laughs> so what you're saying is that King Kong is like a young liberal. <laughs> a oh. young Indian liberal, a native no, no, man, all, a native man who's trying there. to we grow. And Godzilla is like the anti-radical. It's like the, the grandma <laughs> from Black Mesa. And what then hopefully the next episode will be she'll be teaching Kong more about how to become a better how to just become more radicalized. And then yeah, Kong, like, hopefully, if the, an indigenous person writes the rest of these movies, Kong will just become a revolutionary, and will just yes. like team up with Godzilla is is chasing Godzilla the kitchen with the a wooden spoon. That's true. I also but, wanted to say that Godzilla is interesting because she. What's the word when you combine like the biological and the artificial into one organism? Cyborgs. <laughs> yeah, she's kind Symbiotic. of a cyborg. So she represents like the future in a very interesting way. There's like a vision of indigenous futurism or futurity in Godzilla. And mm -hmm. I think because like Kong has the power to wield the the blue magic. <laughs> what the fuck it's called. <laughs> I'm like, I'm tomahawking right now. You can't see me, but I'm using the tomahawk movement because of his thumb, that opposable thumb, D, that magical thumb. Mm, yeah. So Kong actually has a lot of power 
I think maybe Godzilla is trying to teach Kong that he has the power to resist and to mm-hmm. be his own person. And he doesn't have to like listen or collaborate with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's yeah. what's happening. He's just a young buck who needs to learn a few things. Yeah. yeah. And I think, but in this movie though, like Kong is uh, like not prioritized, but I guess kind of celebrated for being like a liberal, right? Like for accepting his fate being relegated to, to hollow earth. And I think that's very intentional. (laughs) And and Kong is kind of infantilized too. Um, Yeah. And also by, by, the communication like with all native sunny boys yeah <laughs> and 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 yet the um godzilla is is not she's not infantilized but she also has no agency really uh, other than than destroy destroy i mean you don't see her communicating you don't see her her uh, motivations or her intentions you just see the destruction so she doesn't get to communicate her distaste of human beings and technology and imperialism and colonization. You just see her destroy it. Like Dee said, Godzilla's like, I don't care about the bureaucracy and the process. I'm just going to blast a fucking hole <laughs> to the center of the earth. She's like, Kong, look at what I'm doing. It's like, you can do this too with your magic tomahawk. <laughs> but you're right. She is. She's chasing him around the kitchen with a wooden spoon. Because I, I I interpreted even before we did this whole analysis, which is really brilliant here on the podcast, like she gives Kong a lashing. She gives him a lashing twice where she could like completely, she could just kill him. She could destroy him, but she doesn't. And so in my mind, I was like, she's teaching Kong a lesson. That's what I thought when I watched the movie the first two times. Yeah, like maybe like that's why like I just like, resonate so much with Kong because like that's that's what you have to do especially like as like a a young indigenous man like like around like all these like badass indigenous feminists and like an organization like sometimes you just like say some dumb ass shit or do some dumb ass shit and like they're gonna get after you like it's 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 a learning process and like you know what sometimes you want to cry sometimes you just want to leave but like if you (laughs) stick if you stick it out you will become like a way better like relative or like a way better person. Like you have like a way better understanding of the world. Like, and then, and then you want like, you, you, you will have like the potential, you have the ability to just like use like your Tama magic tomahawk axe and just like fuck up like U S imperialism. Like, and like, that's, that's just like all the labor and love that comes from like indigenous women trying to like teach these young, younger, younger sons, sons of guns, how to, how to act right. <laughs> Damn, Kong is a sunny boy. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I was telling Jen, I was just like, King Kong's like, like younger, like teenage D, and then like Godzilla's like Dr. Danette Dale. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Dr. Jennifer Nez Danette Dale who is the first Navajo person to ever get a PhD in history. She's fierce, a fierce leader. She's also the um, chair of the Navajo Nation Human Rights Commission. She's a force to be reckoned with. She's a true, like, indigenous feminist warrior, for damn sure. OG, that one. We all aspire. We all aspire to be that. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. But they do collaborate, 
you know, they do kind of come together in the end to defeat Mecha Godzilla. So they like, they develop some sort of relationship with each other Mm -hmm. and they save each other's lives actually. But it takes Gia to do that once again, once again, she's the crutch. Once again, native women (laughs) doing all the work. (laughs) And she's a child. (laughs) Yep. No, Jen's right though. I mean, she's the one who signs very specifically to Kong. Um, Godzilla is not the enemy. Kong needs things explained to him. <laughs> In one word sentences. <laughs> very simple language. <laughs> Maybe Godzilla doesn't need language because she knows all. She's like, man, She's I knew that already. She's telepathic. She knows everything. But I mean, it is really unfair to call Kong a sunny boy because Kong is just like alone. Yeah. You meet Kong when Kong is just alone because his entire family has been, has died or been massacred by Mm -hmm. the monsters on Skull Island. So Kong's kind of an orphan. Sad. Sad face. (laughs) That's my boy. I mean, I think it's just their their stories are both tragic because of course they are like it's the, their stories are those of indigenous people being ravaged by um settler colonialism like that's it's what it is and and yeah i wanted to talk about how yoded the um hollow earth theory is and how it uh mel said that this movie really relies on um imperialist nostalgia and I think the hollow earth is one example of that, right? The idea that you can dig a hole to China and that like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's just like so much of that, that is like brought up again. Like the beginning starts out with like a bunch of studies and like lithographs and field notes about <laughs> King Kong and Godzilla and where they assert that they're ancient enemies because of all this research that's done. And we know that the anthros play a key role in, as characters in the movie. And so it's like, I just see it as like the most recent iteration of all of that bullshit. Well, yeah. And then it's like, it's like a, sorry, I was gonna say, it's just like a yoded ass conspiracy theory, like hollow earth. Like, yeah, it's like the, the whole, I mean, the, the, um, the idea that we can return to um, the Garden of Eden, that there is an untouched, unspoiled place because we're destroying this earth and we're on the verge of ecological collapse. We're, we're, um, we're destroying our home, but there's another better place. All we have to do is drill down into the center of the earth or go to space and find another planet. Um, but it's, it's a common, it, it's been a common theme in sci-fi for a long time. And the, the, that they even use this is is absurd because the theory was debunked. The theory of Hollow Earth was debunked so many centuries ago, and it just doesn't make any sense. Except if you lose it, use it in a in a symbolic way as returning to the underground or returning to the world before. It's a very bizarre use of the underworld, though when you think that in Christianity, the underworld is always referred to as, as hell or the place you don't want to be. Word. Well, I think we've, uh, <laughs> I think we've tackled everything. 
there is the tackle in this movie. 12 times we committed what, what? What is that like? A whole day. A whole ass day. This movie is two hours long. We watched it 12 times. Between the five of us, we committed 24 hours. And then another hour of prep. And then an hour of recording. So we've committed 26 hours to giving you <laughs> this breakdown of Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, any last words? I'm now team Godzilla and Kong. I want them to pair up and I want Auntie Godzilla to teach the young buck Kong his her ways and I want them to team up against US imperialism. Yeah. I mean that's that's like what happened, but like what what comes after that, right? Like and that's why I just like it's sad because like in this universe in this world in the movie, neither of them are allowed a future. Neither of them are allowed kin. Neither of them are allowed community. Like, just as indigenous people are denied those things in real life. Mm. I just think Kong needs to bake Ko'o Godzilla a pie and invite <gasps> her over for pie. Because I think pie was promised a long time ago. So Kong needs to start making pies. And that's that on that. <laughs> I got nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look at him. Thumbs. 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 <laughs> well, it truly is decolonization or extinction for Godzilla mm. and Kong. Well, pick up the red deal. Pick up 420. <laughs> pick up the red deal 420. Uh, well, I can't wait to see the next movie or whatever. I hope it's not written by a bunch of dumbass settlers heroizing u.s imperialism what do you you want to say something before we close no, out like I, I just got like this idea because we were like promoting the red deal like i just think it'd be cute because like elena's been taking pictures of like little godzilla figurines like reading books like we should do that like just have like a whole like godzilla and like king kong like figurines just like reading red deal books they're in a study cute. group yeah with the red sonny scarves oh my god let's do it i mean Full disclosure, Nick and I have a Godzilla figurine already. We've had it for several years, but we still need a King Kong one. Well, uh, don't forget to check us out on Patreon. Encourage other people to join our Patreon. It's Red Media, patreon.com. We'll see you back in a couple of weeks.